Hello and welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where I, rom-com enthusiast Madison, introduce my friend, co-host, and resident genre skeptic Chelsea. That's me. To all the feel-good. Cliché. Romantic. Questionable. Hilarious. Occasionally humorous. Films she's never wanted to watch. Chelsea, I think it may be time for us in the second season to have actually watched a rom-com. You know, far be it from me to really hope (laughs) that something's a rom-com. But I think the network will cancel us if we're six episodes into season two without a rom-com in sight. If we get canceled, does that mean that they take our cardboard boxes that we live in? I think so. We will join the many unhoused in this nation because of the housing crisis. We'll be part of it at that point. Chelsea, I don't think that I can afford to be part of the housing crisis right now because I just spent $25 on a new planner from Target trying to get my life together. It turns out that gold foil stickers do actually help get your life together. Please explain. I'm so glad you asked. Um, This fancy $25 planner, which could easily feed a family of four a simple meal with drinks. It has these gold little stickers. Some are like little coffee cups or champagne glasses that are like clinking. There's birthday stickers. There's to-do stickers. There's deadline stickers, heart stickers, star stickers. And it turns out that That was actually the code that cracked the code on how to get my life back on track in terms of laying it out on a piece of paper and checking things off because I can't be trusted with a digital calendar. I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on you could feed a family of four for $25 in what decade? So actually in what restaurant? Oh, no, no, no. This is a home-cooked meal. Everything is bought at the Dollar General. I'm thinking that you get a pound of rice, two cans of chicken, um, some black beans, not the pre-canned stuff, the kind that you have to soak, and a packet of taco seasoning. You mix that all together. Family of four. Done. $25. Because, you know, the dollar store is now the dollar twenty-five store. Inflation. It's a bitch. But yeah, Chelsea, so if you buy everything from the Dollar Tree, you can, in fact, feed a family of four for the amount of money that I spent on this very fancy planner. And therefore, I can't afford to lose a cardboard box that the studio has us set up in. Well, you have your cardboard box. I have mine. You don't share one. That would be weird. Tight quarters. It would, especially since your box is smaller because your name is billed first. They're alphabetical, Madison. I don't know how many more times I can say this. So Chelsea, speaking of alphabetical order and our ABCs, that leads us directly into what we watched today. How, you may ask? Well, our love interests both know the alphabet pretty well because they work in publishing. Uh Uh-huh. So our second possible rom-com set in the book industry. It's true. All the way back to episode one, the foray into this podcast was about an indie bookstore owner and Barnes the and capitalist hailscape she had to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, the movie that we watched this week was called The Hating Game. And it came out in 2021. So here's your plot line. As assistants to the co-CEOs of a publishing company, Lucy Hutton, played by Lucy Hale, and Joshua Templeman, played by an actor who's not actually really well established, Austin Stowell, sit across from each other every day and they hate each other. Not dislike, hate. They play little games throughout the day with one another to express their disdain for one another, including mirroring each other, generally poking fun, having extreme arguments in the break room revolving around donuts and donut holes that get them reported to HR frequently. And then something changes. Perhaps it's being trapped in a shared office five days a week, but their never-ending game of one-upmanship leads to something more. 
As the protagonist Lucy says, hate is a lot like love. And that's what this transformed into Chelsea. While they're both vying for the managing director position that has now come open in the publishing company, they find themselves in a difficult position as before they realized that they were falling in love and lust, they had decided that one of them would get the position and whoever didn't would resign. And so as it draws nearer and they fall harder for each other, they begin worrying about who has to leave the company and who will get the position. He ends up leaving to be an acquisitions editor for HarperCollins, which is my dream job. And she gets the managing director position. They live happily ever after. It's a very simple plot. It was actually just um, Pride and Prejudice, but in a publishing company. Now, that being said, it was a simple plot, but I have copious notes that I have written down. But the first note, Chelsea, before I guess if you enjoyed this movie, is the cocktail that I assigned to this movie. We only get one today, people, and that is a honey and smoke mezcal cocktail. It has mezcal, honey syrup, and lime. Because I thought for a spicy, smoky kind of movie, we needed an equally hard-hitting drink. Isn't mezcal like tequila? It's like if tequila was a smoker. Okay, well, it's, I hate tequila, so I probably wouldn't like it. You hate tequila? How did I not know this about you? I don't know. I will tell anyone that will listen that how much I do not like tequila. I just drink straight tequila on the rocks. Nope, just thinking about that is making me ill. <laughs> yeah, mezcal is basically like... If tequila was bourbon. Yeah, that sounds disgusting. (laughs) That sounds like I would puke on my rival slash love interest. Much like, (laughs) much like Lucy did. (laughs) In the film. Um, That's incredible because my alternate drink was a jalapeno margarita. Wow. I know. You can't win. Chelsea will not be drinking this episode. Nope, I won't. I won't. I'll just, I'll I'll be the the designated podcaster. All right, Chelsea. This is arguably the first rom-com that we watched this season. We'll get to that. But did you like it? I don't think that this is boring. It had weird pacing, but... I don't think you hated this movie. I don't want to go as far as saying that you liked this movie. But in thinking about what we have watched up to this point, excluding Clueless, because that sits in its own category, I think this is the movie that you've liked the most that we've watched this season. Mm, that's a strong statement. I think you're forgetting about Lady of the Manor. but um... Oh, I am actually. I'm completely forgetting about Lady of the Manor. I did not hate the hating game. Uh, It's fine. Uh, It's not. Here's the thing. I can say that I definitely think there's an audience for this movie. I'm just not that audience. This is not my type of movie, but I wasn't bored. I wasn't frustrated with the movie. I do have some notes. Uh, I have some fixes that make it better. We can always improve things. Not everything can be a 10 like me. (laughs) True. Just kidding. That is that's a internet reference. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. It it's a movie that if my mom wanted to watch it, I would watch it with her. You know what I mean? Although yeah. I just realized my mom listens to this podcast, so now the next time I'm in town, she's gonna be like, "Let's watch the Hating Game." Except my mom won't remember what the title of the movie is. <laughs> <laughs> So I could be a bad daughter and just willfully forget this title. (laughs) But now that I've told her that, she'll know what I'm doing. So hi, mom. If you really want to watch this movie with me, I suppose. Although she she likes to watch the movies before she listens to these. So it's possible she will have already watched it. And therefore, I don't think this is going to be like a favorite for her. I, I was. I, was I think she's going to like it a lot more than me, 
Yeah. But I don't think it's one that she's like, oh, you should really watch it. It's not going to be one of those movies. So, anywho. Yeah, uh, it's fine. I think this is definitely an improvement on the publishing, book industry, rom-com subgenre mm-hmm. out of the two that we have watched. <laughs> <laughs> Much better than You've Got Mail. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, also, uh, hey, Aaron, if you forget the title of this movie and Chelsea won't tell it to you, have Marissa give you my number. I'll tell you all of the movies that you should make her watch. This is why I like to keep people in my life separate. The minute you put them <laughs> together, they get into cahoots. They and it just comes back. They plot. They just come back on me. I turn a corner and I hear whispering and I'm like, and laughing. Mm-hmm. Are they talking about me? What's going on? Please tell me. I feel left out. Oh my God. That's like my uncle the other day. Uh, he and his husband were over at my parents' house and went to see them and everything like that. And at some point, he was saying something about my dad to my mom and my dad kind of overhears and he's like, what are you guys talking about? And my uncle goes, we're talking about you, not to you. Mind your own business. Iconic. <laughs> I love that. I know. <laughs> it's just the biggest dick energy of <laughs> we're shit talking you, not talking shit to you. Fuck off. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use yes, that. You should. I use it all the time now. But just to really get into it, I want to start going down my notes. I took these as I was watching the movie. Like, in real time, I was pausing, jotting this down, continuing. And my first note says, Smurf fan fiction. Here's the thing. This is where this movie can kind of get me. Not with the plot, but with some of the tiny details. Smurf fan fiction. You have a clearly passionate young person working in a publishing house dedicated to her work but at the same time you would think that a literary publishing house or big fiction publisher in essence would look down upon fan fiction right and the fact that in her spare time she is participating in an incredible pastime of the internet (laughs) look there's some truly horrifying fan fiction out there i did not realize how some people's imaginations worked until this moment you know i've I've had i've had some of those moments and i don't even read as much fan fiction as i think some other people in my life do but when you are craving more of the same thing Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a really great outlet if you want to write it, but also to be able to consume large quantities of it. I've read a lot of red, white, and royal blue fan fiction. That is, I like to tell people that red, white, and royal blue is my antidepressant. I know that I'm not (laughs) doing well when I am rereading that book and then I'm re-listening to the audiobook and then I'm just rereading fan fiction I've already read finding some new fan fiction that I haven't read yet. This is just cyclical, Madison. It just goes over and over and over again. So yeah, I really appreciate that she's writing Smurf fan fiction. I think that is an accurate portrait of young people in publishing. Yeah, I think I love, don't get me wrong, I love fan fiction. What got me was the Smurfs. Um, And I will say that I also have a thing of if I start like seeking out this specific media that's a red flag for me of like maybe you should see your therapist very soon and that's if I feel a strong urge to rewatch all of Fleabag if I feel a really strong urge to reread Oksana Behave by Maria Kuznetsova and also if I feel a strong urge to just absorb a lot of like rom-com audiobooks especially don't look at my current audible selection i'm fine i've just got really into abby jimenez (laughs) they're so wholesome everything turns out okay 
Look, here here's the difference between fan fiction and traditionally published works. Obviously, number one is that it's not original IP. Mm-hmm. It, it's characters you already know and love. There are some that are so well written that I swear it is the author just mm-hmm. ghostwriting this fan fiction <laughs> because their publisher, for whatever reason, didn't greenlight the idea. Yeah. Or because they've said they will not write a sequel, but they kind of want to on the down low. So they just do it online. Yeah. Because it's a real passion project. But the other thing that I really like is there's a lot of just really fluffy content that mm-hmm. the stakes are on the ground. And I think there has to be a lot of crossover with people that absolutely love rom-coms and people that really like fan fiction, but Mm -hmm. it's not exclusive. Because here's the thing, even if you are a person who enjoys sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, there are fan fictions for you. And sometimes you want a break. Sometimes you're watching a TV show and you're like, I would just love this character to have a nice day. <laughs> Looking at Criminal Minds and Dr. Spencer Reed, that poor, <laughs> poor, sweet, gentle angel baby, the things they put him through. So sometimes you just want to read Criminal Minds fan fiction and Spencer has a really great day and it feeds your soul. The deepest, blackest parts of it brings them back to life. Sometimes you didn't want Joss Whedon to create Seeing Red. Oh, yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. And so then, actually, did you know this? Fun fact, I learned about this on... And also, for the record, I didn't bring up Buffy this time. (laughs) It was me! But uh, on the podcast Buffering the Vampire Slayer, which is now just buffering because they're going to be watching other iconic tv shows now that they finished their rewatch of buffy but anywho i remember they had on a guest that was saying there is a group of people on the internet at the time that stopped watching after that episode and basically just refused to believe that that episode exists and Mm -hmm. so the content that they create within this community is everything before seeing red is the canon and You know, the things that happened in that episode didn't happen. And I won't say what they are because I've decided that my mission on this podcast is both to get people to realize that rom-coms suck, but also through doing that, convince people to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I won't spoil (laughs) that terrible episode that is traumatizing. You got a lot of content before you get there anyway, so it's fine. I'm actually part of that online internet group that believes that that episode never happened. Um, I'm yeah, I'm very active in that community. This is so, also creating an air of mystery. Now people are wondering, <laughs> oh my god, what is seeing red all about? And now that they got to go watch seasons one through almost the end of six before they'll find out, you know what I mean? I feel so bad that they have to watch anything past, well, with exception of a handful of episodes. I'm really sad for them that they have to watch anything past season three, but you have to have hush. You have to have the musical episode. And obviously, Chelsea, you have to have your favorite, Where the Wild Things Are. That is the worst episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> and I will punch you for even <laughs> suggesting that I like it at all. Also, we're going gonna to throw hands because season five of Buffy, sorry, I think it's actually pretty good. I think see, season five, the body is a traumatic episode but it's a damn good episode and i didn't even realize it until i rewatched it a little while ago because i always skipped over the episode because i just remembered what happened and so i was like i don't want to yeah i know plot wise what happens but i rewatched it and i was like this is a really good episode of tv i would argue that it's actually the best representation of death in media yeah perhaps i i think you're onto something there but you know what didn't have death in media this movie this movie (laughs) another thing that i wanted to point out about this movie is it's originally a like a romantic comedy novel by sally thorne Same name, The Hating Game. And there are scenes in this movie that I can see 
playing out pretty seamlessly in a novelized setting, but not in film. And the scene that jarred me out of the moment and made me really have to be like, okay, this was originally a book and this is clearly a scene that they're like, oh, this was something that the readers really loved. We had to keep it in. And that was the scene after she has the sex dream and they're doing this weird sort of flirty foreplay thing because this is the steamiest movie. I don't think we've watched anything that's rated R up to this point. Wow. I know. We've kept it pretty PG-13 up to this point. I think Lady of the Manor was R, but it was R for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But my note during that scene where... He's like, why are you acting weirder than normal? And she said, I had a weird dream. And he goes, oh, it's a sex dream. One, weird assumption, buddy. Because when I'm acting weird the next day uh, and I say it's because of a dream, it's because I had a horrendous nightmare that when I tell people about it, they're like, you should write horror short stories because they are spooky. But their whole dialogue back and forth where they're doing this weird flirty foreplay thing, I can see how that would work really well in a steamy scene in writing, but it just translates in a awkward and jarring way once it's brought to film because obviously their back and forth that they have going is just foreplay for hate sex. I think we can all agree on that, but it's not to the escalation that it's brought to in that moment. So my note there was someone please call HR. Okay. I will say that there were several points in this film where I went, this is not appropriate for the workplace. (laughs) And the comedy of it is the other people around them who have to witness what's happening, their fights and things like that. And I can get on board with that for a comedy. But there were conversations that were had that I just, yeah, I was like, please call HR. You should not be having this conversation at work. I was sweating one time when I brought, I was trying to recommend a podcast at a work meeting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, they investigate all these different things. And the one episode that I used as like, this is the best episode was the history of the bidet. And after I said it, There was a pause before anyone said anything. And I thought, oh, God, I'm getting fired because I brought up a bidet at a a work (laughs) meeting when we were just chit chatting. Uh, I did not get fired. But I think I would have felt more comfortable if some of the very intense conversations they have at the office end up being daydreams. Mm, And then they can follow that up out of work at a bar on a walk home, sharing a taxi, I don't know, something like that. Yeah, I think if that whole scene, they're talking about her dream, if that ended up being sort of a daydream situation, and the the real conversation picks up with her saying that she has a date with somebody, that would be enough to trigger the scene in the elevator, because I will allow that. That's fine. There are cameras in the elevator, and I like that they at least acknowledge that because the, I don't know that it was necessary somebody saw them on the camera, but somebody was like, are you okay? Because they stopped the elevator. Yeah. So I liked that they didn't fuck in the elevator because (laughs) it's just, in this day and age, that's not happening. I'm sorry. Unless you have your own private elevator, and then you can do whatever the heck you want in it. But- I think I've broken Madison. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Chelsea's campaign to stop elevator fucking. (laughs) Also, I'm sorry, not that that's not comfortable. That's no. The only people that find that hot are the people that are not participating. (laughs) That's like the people who go on and on about shower sex when the average shower that you ever step into accommodates like one person. Dear God. Then my other note following that scene was that I hated that she was using the designer. And I'm actually glad how that plot line played out. Oh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. 
I was really worried that it was going to be a sort of love triangle-y situation where he gets really invested and then has to do the whole, you don't love me, you love him situation. And instead, it was all very cordial between them. She goes on a couple dates with him. She realizes that he's funny and he's nice and she learns more about him in that accidental date after she makes out with Josh. But after she realizes that it's not going anywhere, she tells him and they remain friends. And he's totally fine with that. And he's not the icky, nice, nice in parentheses or quotation. Yes. Okay. This is a huge plus pro about this film is this exact thing. Because you're right. It didn't turn into a love triangle. Yeah, she used him, but it didn't go on and on and on and on. It was resolved pretty quickly. And then... They're very civil. They're not just civil. They are friendly with each other afterward. And Mm -hmm. I also appreciate the inclusion of the scene where she asks him, is it okay that I'm talking about this? Because I think sometimes people don't realize that, you know, obvious. I think it's more obvious in this situation because he did like her and it didn't work out. I mean, obviously, nobody was super invested at that point. But I think people generally don't acknowledge that consent is for not just for sex. Yeah. Uh, do you have the space for me to tell you about this thing? And I know it's really difficult. It's something I'm working on. I've had people in my life recently do this with me. And so it's something that I'm trying to be co- more cognizant of instead of just unloading on someone. A simple, can I vent to you about this? Can I scream about something for five minutes? I think it goes a long way. So anyway, but this whole situation with the two of them, I just really appreciate that he wasn't a douche after they didn't work out. Yeah. Because so often we see the B character that is clearly not going to be the main love interest behave like a fucking incel wannabe. Yes. Because a woman, and most often it's with men and women, but one person doesn't want to be in a relationship. This other person has essentially been pining after them. And so they're feeling hurt and they take all of that out on the other person. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to point out that, unfortunately, this plays out in real life to the point of uh, unaliving people. Yeah, I mean, you see this play out in like the mass shooting at uh, University of Santa Barbara. That's exactly what happened is this guy felt that he had been chronically rejected by women his entire life, that he wasn't perceived as someone who would be sexually eligible, however you want to put it. And so he decided to take the lives of, I believe, seven, maybe more people because of his own pain about feeling rejected well and obviously that's a bigger scale and truly horrendous but we see this in people that work together and one person is super invested in the relationship has asked the other person out multiple times that person has politely declined that person gets weird threats tries to tell management and then They don't really do anything or they can't do anything or I don't really know. And then before you know it, this person has decided that because they've been rejected by this particular person, they're just going to murder this person Mm -hmm. because they're mad about it. And they feel so entitled to another person. And I know this took a very dark, weird twist, but I sometimes when we trivialize these things... I feel that's just not good. It's not good. So I appreciate that this film is one of the only films I can think of where I've ever seen something like that play out. And on the other end, the person was genuinely cool with it. And again, as appropriate to the situation, they had been on all of two or three dates. It wasn't serious. It wasn't serious. No. So yeah, great job. The Hating Game. Yeah, I think the only real, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the only real presentation of what I would consider a toxic masculine figure would be the boss. And that's what he's supposed to embody. He is the embodiment of that sleazy jackass CEO running a company that he knows nothing about. It doesn't really care. He is Tom Hanks. Yeah, 
It, Not the person, the character. The character, his character in You've Got Mail. Bexley is running a publishing company and he does not care about the product he only cares about money yeah he could be selling anything it wouldn't matter what it was as long as he's you know making his bottom line which is why we need readers (laughs) this podcast is brought to you by the imagination library dolly parton's initiative to bring literacy to children uh, side note, we are not actually sponsored by them, but we highly support them, and I would love to meet Dolly Parton. Also, he ordered a Bailey's on the rocks after she ordered whiskey neat. I just wrote that down. I put Bailey's rocks. Ew. I don't know that I've ever seen someone order Bailey's at all. I mean, I've done Bailey's and coffee before. I've done it in coffee-flavored milkshakes before. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's that's it. I can't imagine drinking straight. <laughs> that makes my stomach turn at the thought. So sweet. Ugh. And then when she's super sick and she apologizes to the doorframe after hitting it with her shoulder, realest moment in this movie, and I appreciated it. There's so many tiny moments that are really funny when they call the ceasefire in the office and they're pretending to put their arm like their guns down they both do a regular handgun but then she reaches under the desk and mimes a bazooka with like the weight you can see her acting out the weight of this giant firearm and i lost it i just thought that was so funny Oh, well, then she puts her leg on the desk, acting like she has weapons, like, in her sock, too. That was amazing. I love a bit, you know? Oh, yeah. Love a bit. Especially when you commit to it. Also, this is just a random side note, like, all of this hasn't been. But the mop slippers that she's wearing, like, the little, I need those. So, if a listener wants to send me those, DM me, and I will... Send you an Amazon wish list with just those slippers. You can buy them for me. I do have a question, though, about Danny. Why was he at the team building thing when he had already resigned from the company? It was his last day. Okay, it doesn't matter. Why was he there? If it's his last day, he doesn't need to build camaraderie with these people. And I'm saying that from a a corporate perspective, which is not one I like to take very often. (laughs) But they're not paying for him to go play paintball. He's out the door. Well, Chelsea, just because he's no longer going to be part of the team doesn't mean that they can't give him a big send off. You know, some people take their employees out to lunch on their last day. Some employees force their coworkers and their bosses to go to lunch with them on their last day after a messy resignation process. Some people do that. They just wanted to give him a good send off. And what's better than bruising him with paintballs? I just refuse to believe that Bexley greenlit that idea of taking this guy that does no longer works at the company. All he cares about is money. So he's not taking this designer guy to paintball. He's probably high on the booger sugar at this point. He's not paying attention to the head count. At least that's my assumption. Speaking of Bexley, I genuinely wanted more Bexley Helen interactions. <gasps> yes. There are a couple just real great ones. And I would have liked that to be, pardon the pun, but kind of bookends for office scenes. <laughs> have them fighting and like in the end of one fight, leaving, getting on an elevator, and then have at the beginning of another argument coming off an elevator at the end of the scene. I don't know. I just I would have really liked it. That would be I love their fights. You have good vision for these types of things. Thank you. Also, actually, my vision is 2020, so. Oh, that's a terrible year. Not not to brag, but (laughs) it's kind of like it's kind of like a like a bottle of wine. Like, oh, that's a terrible year. Your vision. It's a terrible year. (laughs) Horrible vintage. I also, we have to bring it back around to people having strong opinions on weddings. Mine, in all caps, says no outdoor winter weddings. This was bizarre, is what it was. However, I did really enjoy the manager of this hotel they're staying at, who... (laughs) 
Despite them booking two rooms, only has one. But that just fits the plot, right? Oh, no, there's only one bed. What are they going to do? (laughs) But I also, they're like, can we have the keys? He's like, no keys. The the doors are unlocked. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of hotel is this? (laughs) It just made me think of the scene in Frozen where she's at the sauna. That's also as you. You. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guy did remind me of the the sauna guy in Frozen. Yeah. Oh lord. Yeah. Um, no, I was I was having a great time when they're checking into the hotel. Yeah, it's just waiting for a little big summer blowout moment, uh, and we got it. I also like when she wakes up in the morning and is like, "Did he make his side of the bed?" And then she messes it up by pulling it all over to her. Like, fuck this, Belle. To turn it to a more serious topic, though, and to turn it back to Helen, I have a major bone to pick with one line in this movie. It flew all over me, and it just really burned my biscuits. When she was talking to Lucy, she said, I should have promoted you to editor years ago. And Lucy says, why didn't you? And she said, you didn't ask for it. Oh, I hate that. I hated that so fucking much because we already put so much on the employee in the workplace. I understand having, allowing the ability for someone, and they should have the ability to ask for a promotion or a raise if the parameters of their responsibilities expands, changes, increases, uh, becomes more challenging. But you should not hold your employees back because they didn't ask for something. Because usually when they are not asking for something, it's because they are not aware that that opportunity is available for them. It's the whole idea of you don't know what you don't know. I remember when I was in ninth grade math class, I had this horrible teacher. Miss Little, if you're listening to this, I still think about you sometimes and it's never positive. We had a bonus question on a quiz that we had never gone over. And somehow, I suck at math, you know this, but I was the only one in the class who got the bonus answer right. It was, why can't you divide by zero? And I was basically like, you can't divide by nothing. That's stupid. And she was like, you were the only one who got this right. And someone said, we never learned that. And she said, I usually have students ask this question. It usually comes up in this unit. You can't expect someone to approach you for an opportunity. You can't expect them to know what's available if you don't make it available. That's like going to a restaurant and not seeing a dish that you want and them saying, oh, we could have made you that. Put it on the fucking menu. If you say, I have pie and ice cream, I'm not going to ask you for cake. Well, why would you? Cake's overrated. I'm a cookie lady myself. I'm a pastry bitch. I love pie. What's pie, your favorite? I love a berry pie. My sister makes a triple berry pie that is to die for. It's incredible. If I'm going fruity, I'm going cobbler. You don't want like a buttery crust underneath? <sighs> you know. Cobbler is just lazy pie. And look, I, I like cobbler, but. I think my issue is Mary Berry's issue. I don't like soggy bottoms. I don't think my sister makes soggy bottom pie. Maybe I'm just spoiled. Maybe my sister's an incredible baker. I'm going to shout out my sister, who's an incredible baker, who makes so many great things. Marissa, I'm going to end this friendship right here if you don't bake me a pie in the next six months. That's a wide time frame. She can make you a birthday pie. Oh my god, that's so nice. She's made me a birthday pie before. It's it's great. I always have the same thing on my birthday. Do you do you have like long-standing birthday traditions for yourself when it comes to food? Anything. 
Uh, no. I don't think any of my birthdays have been the same. I have exactly two. Since I was like three or four years old, I always have a cookie cake. I love cookie cake. Some people don't like it. They say that it's a cookie trying to be a cake or a cake trying to be a cookie and you shouldn't try to blend the two. I disagree. I say don't let your dreams be dreams. Cookies can be cakes and cakes can be cookies. I know someone who had a cookie cake as their wedding cake and that is aspirational. But I have that and then I always have fireworks. Oh yeah. Just for you, Madison. They are just for me. They're not for any other reason, those fireworks. They are just for you. Yeah, it's so strange that everyone celebrates my birthday in this country. The whole country celebrates Madison's birthday because she's that important. Well, me and Malia Obama. Of course, of course. Yeah. Can't forget Malia. No, we're we're homies. You know, homegirls. Birthday twins. <laughs> No, but I agree with you. I hated that line. Don't put the onus on that person. Also, mm-hmm. not for nothing, but I sure hope that if this woman knew that Lucy was way too good to be her assistant or to stay her assistant, I really hope she was giving her astronomical raises. I know she oh, wasn't. Yeah. It was a failing publishing company. But what a dick move. I know. Well, she said the quiet part out loud when she said, you do the shitty parts of my job that I don't want to do and you do them better than anyone else could. That's that's why there's so much job hopping as recruiters and employers like to call it these days is the only way that you can have sustainable mobility, upward mobility in both salary and position is if you routinely change what company you're at and that's true across most industries you know if you're working here and you've been working here for five years and you can go a mile down the road to a similar place and make ten thousand dollars more starting out with them because they recognize your ability that you fostered up to this point why wouldn't you and employers are like, I don't understand the turnover. I don't get this. What What makes you deserve loyalty? They are willfully in denial about the state of everything because yeah. it's easy to keep blaming what is clearly not the problem than to look inward. And I can tell you, having done financials for a company, I was talking about this with my aunt because she works in a finance department where she is. We're talking about how shocking it is when you're doing something like that to see the pay discrepancy between different positions. When you realize that the raise that you ask for is the same amount that your boss is spending to pay an interior designer to create a new walk-in closet for them, not like build it, just design it. And they tell you no, or you see that you're making 30 times less than the person above you, not even the highest ranking person, just the person who's, you know, in the next lineup. I mean, that's devastating. You cannot tell me that the discrepancy of workload, experience, schooling, the average CEO of like Fortune 500 companies, giant, you know, mega million, billion dollar, trillion dollar if you're Amazon companies, the difference between their highest and lowest paid employee is usually 360 times. The highest is making 360 times more than the lowest paid worker. You cannot tell me that the discrepancy in their performance is 360 times more or less. It doesn't make sense. And that's why we need wealth distribution. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We circle around to socialism, Chelsea. I didn't know this podcast was political. You never think it is, but we've come back to politics at least by the end of every episode. At least by the end of every episode. All right, can I propose some fixes for this? Please do. I, yes. Number one, recast Josh. That's my first note. (laughs) 
Look, this guy is not unattractive. My number one issue, and this isn't necessarily with him, it's just that they paired him with Lucy Hale, who is 5'2", and he is 6'1". That is an 11-inch difference, my friends. Mm-hmm. And that's too many inches. He does make fun of her size chronically with nicknames and such. And that's kind of tiring. I hated that he called her shortcake. Every time he did it, my blood went up a degree. By the end of this movie, I had a fever, much like <laughs> she did after paintball. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to recast him. I need someone that is closer to her height, but also he was too pinch-faced. I don't know. I can't tell. I Also, just make it somebody more memorable. Make it someone more striking. I think... I don't even know what he looks like. He was just a white man. <laughs> Give me someone else. Cast Michael B. Jordan in this role. A white man? No. <laughs> I completely agree. I think that they were trying to play really heavily into uh, Pride and Prejudice vibes in this movie. And the result is it was like he was doing a 2005 Mr. Darcy who was also constipated for the last six months. Like that man needs to see a physician. So yeah, we're going to recast him. I think that's a pretty easy fix. He was not actually originally supposed to be the lead. It was supposed to be, I think his name is pronounced Robbie Amell, who... That sounds so familiar. Yeah, he... I think that he also has a brother who also acts. I think I know oh, his brother is Steven, oh, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, they're not brothers. They're cousins. Oh. They're cousins. Robbie Amell was in, uh, he's in a bunch of, t- he was in that, what's the one with Mae Whitman? And she's supposed to be ugly, but she's the not Duff. ugly at all. She's adorable. Yeah, he yeah. was in that movie. That's him. Uh, and I think he was in some other movies where he's like a teen heartthrob. I do know who that is. And then his cousin is Green Arrow. That's the other guy who apparently is a big douche. Oh, I can see it. I can totally see that. I don't know. I think I would have preferred Robbie Mail to this guy, but I still think we could do better. Yeah. I think we can do better. Make... Make more interesting casting choices is all I'm trying to say. I'm really tired of seeing the same three people. Well, I think they also really missed an opportunity to truly deepen his character in a meaningful way and show how he's really cold as a character. And they started to in the wedding scene where you find out that not only is his dad a massive douchebag, but his brother also married his ex that he was with for like a year. One, major violation of the bro code, man. But two, they had a real opportunity to play that up after the wedding scene. And they really let it fall flat, which I didn't like. I think they could have carried that further and they just opted not to. What I will say in terms of reveals we were complaining in the wedding date that you don't find out until the 11th hour that the ex had had an affair with the sister who is now getting married. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind that we didn't find out what was going on until the wedding because I, the minute she said, oh, she's stunning, I went, oh, shit. Yeah. That's his ex-girlfriend. Uh-huh. And I was like, damn, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I feel like I wanted a little bit more, but I can't say exactly what I wanted there. I think it plays into I said before that this movie has kind of weird pacing. And I think that played into it is it felt like that part of the plot was almost set apart from everything else. And it helped explain why he was the way that he is, but it felt like a sidebar. And I think The weird pacing is just most underscored by the end of the movie, where I said before that I wanted more overhead narration in the Clueless episode. I was like, you know what? We don't have enough overhead narration. I want to take that back because the ending of this movie had 
just the strangest, like, all right, and here's your HEA. There you go. And we're done. Here's your voiceover where I tell you all the lessons I've learned about love. Well, here's the thing. You said that in the Clueless episode, and I didn't say anything, but it did cross my mind. Overhead narration is kind of a really cheap way to communicate something to the audience. There are so many other more satisfying ways to. I think it works in a film like Clueless because it's a film all about Cher, and it's a film very much focused on Cher and her inner workings for lack of a better term so it the overhead narration in that film feels almost like a diary she's telling us her own story but to have it in something like this at the end is gonna be weird and there's lots of other films that are gonna have overhead narration and it's just gonna feel like there must have been a better way to communicate this to the audience. I think a lot of times it kind of underestimates the intelligence of the audience to literally sit there and explain what's happening to you. Yeah, I think that it's, it's fine for rapid exposition and it's fine for movies that are not necessarily plot driven and you need those like inner mind machinations spelled out a bit better a bit more clearly in a diary like context but the way that this was done it just wasn't necessary because you have the scenes where she's getting shit done and then you could have more scene you could do like a side by side split scene of her doing her you know girl boss shit over here and him at Harper Collins getting into his role and you could have a split screen scene of them both doing that and then the split screen ends when they're walking together and I think that that would be way better than this weird because I know that it opens with her narration and like I said for exposition I think it's not necessarily a bad thing but the way that they kind of shoehorn it back in at the end I didn't think that it was effective. I thought it was one, not useful, but also kind of jarring because it doesn't flow with the rest of everything that they've set up. It just wasn't necessary because you can spell out the ending without a Lucy Hale overhead speaking. Before we get to the ending, the other thing I want to change is I want a better third act breakup. Just explain what happened, people. I do not like, and I'm not the only person that doesn't like relying on a misunderstanding to create conflict because in reality you would just have a person go that's not what happened that's not what happened this is what happened here's don't there's no reason that he can't tell her he's interviewing for this other job there's literally no reason that he can't tell her so instead i'd like to propose for you that perhaps the third act breakup happens because he pulls back Perhaps he gets scared. Maybe he applied to a lot of different jobs and maybe he was offered a really great one in a different city and he feels like he has to take it. He doesn't want to he doesn't know if he should wait for this job at HarperCollins and so he decides I'm going to take this job because this new relationship maybe he's not worth the risk. He's been burned in the past. He's got Mm -hmm. baggage. I think that makes a lot more sense. And in that case, he doesn't have to explain. But even if he does, for him to be really stubborn and strong-willed makes a lot of sense. So he can just, I'm making this decision and I'm making this decision for the both of us. But in the end, it's like he knew the whole time why she was mad and just didn't say anything, which is stupid. It's stupid And it's weird. And he just should have said it because I'm sorry. I understand that people have insecurities. I've got a whole alphabetical list of them. (laughs) But he literally just told you that he loved you and pointed out that he painted his wall green because that's the color of your eyes. This man decorated for you and you think he's just playing you. I, I don't it makes no sense to me. That's a weird con, if you ask me. Exactly. It would be one thing if he just slept with her. 
But he pointedly went out of his way. And she actually mentions this when she's talking to Danny about it. And it was like, it'd be one thing if it was a seduction type plan. But this went a lot deeper than that. You know, the first, I think, couple times that she attempted to initiate. I'm going to put this in the most awkward clinical way I can, apparently. The first few times that she attempted to initiate intercourse with him, he rebuffed her interest in favor of trying to make sure that he wasn't just a one night stand because that's his primary insecurity is he's been told that he's not a long term type. He's a one night stand and he didn't want that. She did not have enough faith in him. And I agree. The misunderstanding trope was flimsy. Yeah, I didn't like it. I think there were better ways of having them have that third act. I understand it's part of the structure. I'm not trying to change the structure of film, of rom-coms. I'm just saying, do better. I would say that our slogan for this episode is do better, but I say that it still has to be uh, Chelsea's anti-fucking in elevators campaign. Just don't fuck in an elevator. I'm sorry. It's it's not worth it. I, it's not sanitary. It's, that's, that's my biggest thing. It's gross. It's uncomfortable. And also, you're giving people in the security room a free show. <laughs> And Madison we, won't even let you see her feet without paying. Five dollars a toe. <laughs> they're not even that nice of feet. <laughs> they're, they're they're like great value feet. But also, I'm sorry. I get that this was the end of the movie and they need to kiss, but they were in the office and they should not be kissing in the office. And I get that he quit. But she still works there and you shouldn't be kissing people in your office unless, <laughs> no, you just should never be doing it. I, you know, no, thank Chelsea, you. I've never, I've never been interested in anyone in an office space that I have worked in. But even if your like partner is coming to pick you up for lunch, you shouldn't be kissing in the office. I'm pretty anti-PDA in general. I'm not a PDA person. So, but honestly, I don't even think this is a PDA thing. This is a boundary between work and personal life. Yeah. That I do not think should be crossed. Well, Chelsea, would you consider this movie a rom-com? Well, Madison, we better hope it is one. By God. We'll have to walk through our highly tested criteria. Number one, do they date? Are there moments in which we see these characters growing closer together, bonding emotionally? I think this gets a solid pass. Oh, yeah. I mean, they do quite legitimately go on dates, and she was his wedding date. So that's high-level dating. Did we laugh? Are there moments of intentional comedy? You know, I did giggle a little bit, especially at the menstrual cup scene. You don't remember it? She drops her bag and her stuff rolls out and he goes, oh, is this a travel shot glass? And she goes, no, it's a menstrual cup. And I will say that one thing I actually really liked about this movie is how that scene was handled because he didn't drop it and go, ew, a menstrual cup. He just went, okay, and handed it back to her. And you see him like using hand sanitizer afterwards. But that would be a normal reaction to touching something that would normally be inserted in somebody. Yeah. Um I don't I don't remember this, so I don't know if I look down at my phone at this part and I'm honestly sorry that I missed it. <laughs> it was good. He he handled it like I would hope someone would. But no, I think this movie was it was actually kind of light on the comedy aspect in my opinion. Yeah, there was a I think more drama than you would expect but we talked about things we laughed at earlier so yeah i get to check gets it passes for comedy passes for dating passes for comedy so here's the moment of truth where all other films this season have failed is love specifically romantic love in the driver's seat is romantic love what is propelling the story forward yes please defend your position 
I believe, Chelsea, that love was, in fact, in the driver's seat because we see the coming together of these two people who previously claimed to hate one another, grew to love one another, and then knowing that his ambitions and her ambitions were placed in a similar position, he opted to find an alternate position to make sure that she ended up with the managing director position in order for their relationship to continue to thrive and their mutual careers to continue to thrive. And she defended him to his father. Hugely romantic. I agree. I agreed with you. I just wanted to hear what you had to say. Because you tried really hard last time and I did not agree with you because you were wrong. I would beg to differ. Actually, I would like to go before my old thesis defense committee and uh, represent last week's position. But sadly, we don't have the time. Nor will, nor would they agree to be double jeopardy, Madison. Double jeopardy. We've already found that movie (laughs) not a rom com. Speaking of double jeopardy, I watched this wild thriller last night that had Jude Law in it and Catherine Zeta Jones, and I don't know what it was called, but I think you might like it. I'll send it your way. Those are some strong jaw lines in one movie. Oh my god, I know. I actually have this cut on my foot, oddly enough, because um, I did offer free feet for that movie, because, you know. Um, yeah, I think it came from just watching it. Their Is this lines. a new movie? It's newer. Let me see. We have to find it. Somebody recently told me that we need to follow through on when we go, I think this is this thing that we need to follow up and actually confirm whether or not it is that thing. So I think this is one of those situations. We need to confirm what the title of this film is called. Look, they're asking us to be really professional, but the movie is from 2013 it's a thriller drama called Side Effects. It's an hour and 46 minutes long. Oh my god, wait. I've seen this movie. It also has Rooney Mara in it. Yeah. I have. I saw this in the theater. What do you think of it? I think I liked it. I remember it. Yeah, it had a Channing Tatum jump scare, but... Oh, Channing Tatum is a jump scare? Yeah. Say more. I, you know... You don't like Channing Tatum? What? Bisexual icon? Channing Tatum? Is he a icon? Yeah. I, I have it on good authority. You know, I didn't actually know that. They that- tried to erase it from the internet because he did Magic Mike. And, you know, we have to let Midwestern women in book clubs lust after him. Yeah. Which they, he's a icon. Also, even if he were gay, you can still find him attractive. And you can still imagine an alternate universe in which he was interested in you. And let that fuel your dreams I don't want to know anything about. No, you know, I don't I don't really get it either. He's just not my type. He's not my type, but he plays a great himbo. He does. Okay, so he has I'll, by himbo energy, and I can get behind that. You know, I'll tell you why I originally placed him in jump scare, but I'm now placing him in cameo. He just gave me, like, really strong Republican vibes. But I think it was just his appearance in Magic Mike. Maybe I just associated the horny Midwestern moms with that energy. You know what? I'm sorry to Channing Tatum. This is my official statement of apology. I apologize for judging a book by its cover, by not doing more research into you. And that was my beat. And I take back my words. You are now a cameo. Well, Chelsea, what would you rate this movie on a scale possibly of one to five of a watchability score based on Zillow's walkability score, which if you don't know what that is, it's how close a destination is to other locations like restaurants, grocery stores, movie theaters, etc., and how walkable these areas are. If this was then turned into a movie ranking system, it would be one to five, with one being stranded in the desert, 
two being backyards barbecue, three being a strip mall in suburbia, four being four blocks from a transit stop, and five being the best coffee in the city is downstairs. If that type of ranking existed, where would you place it? I think this is a solid strip mall in suburbia. See, I'm actually the ideal audience for this movie. I really am. It had everything for me. It had an enemies to lovers plot. It had some steamy scenes. It had some good comedy. It had people affording apartments on a salary that they wouldn't likely have. Also, why does he own a car in New York City? I know. It's because it's him. Are you kidding me? This movie really had everything. So I'm actually going to give this a solid 4.4. I couldn't go 4.5, but I'm giving it a 4.4. Sometimes you just need something like this in your life. I'm the ideal audience for this movie. So it gets a 4.4. I would watch this movie again. In fact, I'm going to make my mom watch this movie with me. We're going to watch it. You know, Chelsea, I think this is my favorite rom-com that we've watched all season. (laughs) (laughs) Oddly enough, it's mine too. (laughs) I'm still holding on to my argument, but will not rehash it for fear of double jeopardy regarding monster-in-law. But I, yeah, this is, this is a solid rom-com. And I actually had another movie lined up and decided that I couldn't risk it. I had to choose something that I knew would fit the bill. And that was this. So I guess the question is, will next week's movie fit the bill? What do you have lined up for us, Madison? I refuse to make any promises. Hello, laughsters. Chelsea here from the future. Well, I suppose it's the future from the time we originally recorded the episode on The Hating Game, but it's my present, and I guess technically speaking, it's the past by the time you'll hear this, but you know what? All of that's super appropriate because the next movie that we will be watching is Kate and Leopold from 2001, starring the queen of rom-coms herself, Meg Ryan, Hugh Jackman, and a whole lot of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. So if you love Meg, Hugh, or time travel, like my father, then you will probably love this next film. Now back to my past, uh, where Madison and Chelsea will finish up the episode. Well, it has been a real treat to, I guess, finally have a (laughs) rom-com on our plate. On our rom-com podcast. On our rom- yeah. It's so nice to see a rom-com on our rom-com podcast. For those of you who don't know, we are Love at First Screening. You can follow us on Instagram at Love at First Screening, where every week we have a nice little poll where we ask really gutting questions like, what is the most iconic teen movie but you can only select from three or four options so it's a bloodbath let me tell you sophie's choice a real yep a real sophie's choice if you want to recommend a film for us to watch you can do that by emailing us love it for screening at gmail.com we are here every wednesday talking about all the rom-coms you love love to hate and everything in between so until next time <laughs>